0: Hello, welcome to Waltrip Unfiltered. It's my podcast. This is episode 31, and today's guest is Ty Norris. We're going to review Blink of an Eye, the documentary that played last week, over 900 theaters across America. People seem to really enjoy it. going to talk to Ty about that. One of the favorite moments of the whole documentary was something Ty said. I can't wait for him to share that story with you. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to... Download their favorite podcast app and search Waltrip Unfiltered so they can see us. And then also Fox Sports YouTube page. You can check out videos from this podcast. We're going to get with it right now. Thanks for listening.
1: Be ready.
0: Green play, green play. Well, appreciate you stopping by. <laughs> yeah. It's cool to see you here. How you been?
1: I've been awesome, man. It was great to see a text from you that says, Hey, come do my podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm in.
0: Well, the reason why I wanted you here, uh, we've done a couple of shows that were basically previews to the documentary yeah. that came out last week, Blink of an Eye, and I wanted to do a review of it. And right. there's a couple things that were so special to me that you were a part of. So I wanted to, I wanted to get your opinion on, on the doc, obviously, and also tell you the stories that that really resonated with me from that uh, experience
1: yeah well for me I I I just it was an honor to watch it Um, I lived it I was there there with a lot of of you and, and, and Dale with everything that was going on and I learned a lot from it and when you think about when you're in the moment you don't really know how special it is yeah And then um, when you get to look back at it like that, um, I walked out of there emotional, uh, thankful, um, proud, and um, just overwhelmed, really, by the story. And I'm like, those are my buddies. (laughs) Those are my friends that lived through that. And um, it's it's, it's really special for you to open up. Um, it's hard, yeah. uh, to be, uh, to, to be that raw. And, and, and I, I think you made a comment, you know, I'm so proud of so many people were interviewed different times and they all, they all sort of just kind of clicked it all sort of said the same thing It's because it's the truth. It's what happened. Um, we all saw it the same way. Um, and, uh, I think the documentary is probably one of the best things I've ever seen.
0: Well, the thing that's interesting that, that you brought up all the people that, that were interviewed and, and told the same story in 2010, 11, I, I wrote the book "Blink of an Eye," and in writing that book, my my ghostwriter Ellis Hennigan, he, he's I said, "Do we have to interview people? Do we need to get other info?" He, goes, nah, it's your story. Right, right. You just tell it." So I said, "All right," <laughs> and off I went. And you know, the parts when I was a kid and growing up and trying to be a racer, that was all pretty easy, yeah, because it was just me. But then as as I became a racer and and driving for Dale and winning Daytona there were so many people that were a part of all that, Yeah. that when I was talking to Ellis, you know, I just told him my, my part of it, what I remember and and how I thought it went down. And I kind of got a little bit freaked out when it came time to do the documentary because, you know, Paul Tobley, Mitch Covington, the guys that put it all together, they're, they're like, we got to interview every person involved. And for, for, For a bit, yeah. I'm like, well, I don't know. Did I I remember that right? (laughs) I don't know if I remember that correctly. And and what will they say? Yeah. But I said earlier one of the one of my favorite moments of the whole documentary was when you said that when Dale asked me to drive, and uh, and the other guys competitors were saying, why didn't you ask me to drive? Right, right. And when you said, it's just what Dale wanted.
1: Yeah, it's true. I have so many things to talk about, about all the things you talk about. I want to talk about the book, first of all, um, but I want to, to that, that moment, um, no one wanted your ride when you were going to sign that contract with the seven car, right. no one wanted it, <laughs> no, no one was like, Hey, Michael, uh, don't, don't sign. Um, but when we started, when the rumors started getting out that we were going to have a third car and that Napa was going to come on board and that we were talking to you, um, you know you gotta remember at the time there were 60 cars people were sponsored and drivers were always looking for how how can i improve myself on the grid and the way dale arnhart incorporated a was running but where we were going um it was a desired ride a desired organization and um God, I walked in the garage. I remember it was actually Richmond when Dale pulled you into the holler and he was like, we're going to do this. And I remember walking around Richmond and people were like, man, if you would do it, you should talk to me. You know, I could do this. And I'm like, this is what Dale wanted. Um, it, it didn't matter who else was available, what contracts were up, uh, even what sponsors would. Oh, bring a sponsor. It didn't matter. Dale wanted you in it. Um, you had been friends for a long time. He believed in you. He believed in you. He put you in his in his Bush car. Um and he's like, I'm gonna give my buddy a chance, and uh, that's not really like Dale. A lot of times, he's not just gonna um, go out on a limb um, unless he really believed in it, and he did. And um, and I, it's as sad as it is. I just remember sitting in that motorhome after the race, is sad is after that after that event. And I kept telling you, the only thing I can say that I could get out of not choke up about was Dale knew. It's the only thing I could tell you. We put all this together. We got to go race, and regardless of the the the, the events that happened that we could never change, he knew, yeah. and and that that's probably one of the coolest things um, that that I want to think about.
0: Well, my my the way I stayed sane all these years, I think, is the Bible verse that says, "In the blink of an eye, you're in the presence of the Lord." Sure. And I'm thinking, off turn four, Dale's watching his buddy and his son go win the Daytona 500, and, mm-hmm. and our days are numbered. It's just it's, it's what I believe. It's what yeah. keeps me going forward is that Dale saw, they believed. Next thing you know, he's in heaven. Yeah, yeah Pretty good way to go.
1: Yeah. It, it, well, if you got to go, if, if you, you got to go, <laughs> that's right. Well, listen, we all do have to go, but, um, I want to talk about the book for a second. So my office was right next to yours for years, as you know, at, at NWR and, uh, you're working on this book with another writer. And you had spent an enormous amount of time with him. Um, I don't even know where, how many hours. And he wrote the first chapter. And I think he was working on the second chapter or something like that. And you came in my office and you're like, hey, man, can you read this? Just, I just want to get your eyes on this. And so I read the first chapter. I read about 10 or 11 pages, 8 or 9 pages, whatever it was. And then, And then I was... Being a friend, you know, I was, you know, first of all, I worked for you. So I can't be, can't be sniding my boss. But, um, I was like, Michael, I'm sorry, man. I lived this story with you and I don't recognize it. I don't recognize the story that this person's telling. And I, and you're like, I don't either. And then he came up with a second, um, uh, chapter and same thing. Like it wasn't your story. It was, he was trying to Hollywood it up. And I thought it was brave of you to go, stop. I'm not doing this. Yeah, I'm not going to have someone tell their version of my story. So when you got your new writer and you came in with the first two chapters, I was like, damn, it's like you're telling me your story. It's like you're sitting there. This is your voice. This is your work. Like even your vernacular, and I loved it. I just thought it was such a much better way to go, and it's so cool they took that book and they've now made it something pretty special.
0: I called the publisher uh, after a couple of months and a couple of chapters, like you said, and I told him there's not going to be a book, and even right. worse than that, I might go to jail because I think that <laughs> me and this guy are going to get in a fight because we could not get together. And, and he had written, he had written some... You know some New York Times bestsellers. He's a very talented man, yeah, yeah. Uh, But it just didn't work for it me. It
1: beautiful, beautifully written yes. as a former writer. It's beautifully written. It just wasn't as your story. No, yeah, it and was, so it was cool. They
0: they they let the race car driver tell them that you know I had to get a new writer. Yeah. The writer that we had agreed to and and was supposed to be a part of this process and uh, we swapped swapped midstream and I I got done with that book and I handed it to them and said. I don't know if we're going to sell any of these or not, but it <laughs> says exactly what I want to say, just right. like I want to say it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it as a friend, I was. It seemed like a therapy session. Yes. You know, to sit around and, and for you to be able to get it off your chest and tell it the way you wanted to tell it. It seemed therapeutic, and um, and we all needed that. I mean, I I um, obviously went through my own grieving process. Um, but um everyone's different and uh for you to have that opportunity to um to do that and open up and, and i thought that was really important for everything that was going on at the time so ellis is pretty cool too he'd show up at
0: you know six o'clock on sunday evening he'd fly in from new york and i'd come home from the races yeah and we'd write all night right and i mean sometimes not get done until eight or nine the next morning And then i would go on about my my business and he would go on about his and we'd get together again the next week and it it sometimes lasted two or three days but we wrote it pretty quickly and you know you said something a minute ago as a former writer Mm -hmm. i find it interesting you grew up in (laughs) south carolina but then you wound up in delaware and then and then back to north carolina yeah what took you on that journey
1: well my uh my dad was in the air force but we were all, all of my family is from central North Carolina, Irwin, Dunn, North Carolina, which is outside of Fayetteville. It's a little um, mill town, cotton mill town uh, for Burlington. And used to drive driving. it'd be, you know, denim capital of the world. Right. And, they uh, even very had a coat factory. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> very, very, very small town. And that's how my, that's, we always, I lived in South Carolina until I was 12. My dad was in the Shire Force Base when I was born. And then we moved to Delaware uh, when he got a job transfer, and I lived there until I was 24. And for those 24 years, I told everybody, I'm from North Carolina. I never said South Carolina. I never said Delaware. It's always North Carolina. And I finally got a chance to move back um, when I was 24 years old in, in 1990 and um, um, went to work for R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company. And, and what was neat was uh, I, uh, I started I, – I followed racing through the radio. Me too. Um, did you? Yeah, and, and my my dad would we would he would always work. He'd never sit still, and he always wanted me to work. I always wanted to shoot basketballs or go play ball or something. My buddies and he was like, "No, come over here and hold this while I weld it." And I'm like, "I don't really want to do that," <laughs> um, and uh, but we would have races on, and so Barney Hall and Joe Moore and Eli Gold and all those voices that you would hear, they would tell such a beautiful story of the races that that's how I really. Loved, fell in love with the sport, and uh, so I wanted to be a sports writer. And so in 1985, I started showing up at racetracks in Dover, Delaware, doing pit notes and um, just fell in love with it and uh, got a chance to go to work for R.J. Reynolds in 1990 as uh, media relations rep. I um, had no idea. I remember they asked me, "Were you are you interested in this job as a media relations rep? But I looked, I said, what is that? what did they do? <laughs> Cause I had no idea. And, uh, and some, some way, somehow I, um, I got the job. So I was working, uh, on the Winston cup and my buddy, Chris Powell was working on the drag racing and we were, we were two lead, uh, two lead PR guys at RJ Reynolds. So it was kind of fun.
0: And that obviously is how you became friends with Dale. Um, yeah. what, what's your first memory of, of that friendship and, and how it started to grow
1: well it, it actually started when i was a sports writer um i had gone to uh the all-star race in 1990 to interview drivers for this big tab uh, the, the, the big section we were going to do at our newspaper and i was going to a story on dale dale senior and uh and rusty wallace's friendship and so i asked dale about it, and he's like yeah rusty's all right you know like he's just kind of like he, he didn't really want to talk about it well, then I grabbed Rusty. I'm like, hey, man, uh, tell me about this friendship you and Dale have. Ah, I'm so sick and damn tired of hearing about Dale Earnhardt. I've kicked his ass last year, and I won the championship, and everybody wants to talk about Dale. And I was like, w- what are you talking about? And so he just – he was so mad and upset that day. Anyway, so he said a, quite a few things, and I was like – Did you write them all down? Oh, yeah. I recorded them. So I recorded it because I had this little CYA. So I, I go back, and I, 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 um, I write this story. And it came out on Saturday morning. Uh, of the Dover race. And Chip Williams, who is the PR guy at NASCAR at the time, came and grabbed me, and started cussing me out. Rusty Wallace is going to kick your, you know what? And all this back and forth. And I was like, you need to come. He goes, he, you never, he never said that. I said, well, I have it recorded. He goes, oh, <laughs> let's go see Rusty. So Rusty's truck and Dale's truck were parked next to each other. And Rusty just starts giving me the business. He's cussing me out. throwing stuff. So you're ruining this, my friendship with Dale. And Dale's going to come over here, and he's going to get this straightened out. So Dale comes around. He walks up in Rusty's trailer, and he opens up the, the door, and he throws something at me, and he calls me the P word. And I, I looked at him, and he, and I'm like,
0: Hey, don't take that personal. He called me that. Account. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah,
1: I felt good about it. <laughs> Dale called me the P. And uh, so I'm like, well, he goes, why are you stirring up shit? And I said, I had it recorded. I was lo- actually looking for a whole different story. Rusty took me down this road. And he looks at Rusty he goes, caught you around your mouth, didn't he? And he goes, look, Rusty and I are good. We're cool. We're friends. We do business together. We do this. And he starts telling me all this stuff about they do. together. I was like, great. I said, tell you what, I'll write a story and fix it. And he's like, no problem. So I walk out of the holler and J.R. Rose comes over and goes, Hey, Dale wants to see you. So I go in the holler and he goes, You got some balls, kid. I guess I like you. What and were you, about
0: 21?
1: I twenty three. 23. Yeah. And uh, he said, I appreciate it. And he said, um, And we just started talking. And since then, then about two months later, I go to work for R.J. Reynolds. And then, and Dale's the champion and I'm the PR guy, you know, in New York and taking him around for the championship. And Dale we just hit it off I don't know why just we did we had an age gap but um he goes I just remember him sit I remember sitting in the Waldorf Astoria in the presidential suite and I was making about 27 grand and he goes I think you need to come work for me you need to come work for me someday and I was like you can't afford me as you pick up your several million dollars this weekend you can't afford me and we laughed about it and and it just started a friendship that that lasted all the way until the last day yeah what a special memory and
0: somehow we all wound up in the Bahamas together hanging (laughs) out me and Buffy and and you and and Dale and the families Uh, those were special times that we got to enjoy yeah
1: Um, I don't know how that all happened I remember getting a phone call and he said hey I just got this just bo- got this bought this boat. Um once you come down, we're gonna spend about eight days in the Bahamas thinking get off get off and so I'm like, uh, you're our champion and I'm pretty sure my boss will let me go because they need a good relationship with the champion. So and then he tells me, Oh, Michael's going. And and I didn't we, you and I didn't know each other we just been seen each other, we didn't know each other that well. And uh God, that was so much fun. I remember getting to the airport. I didn't know what to pack for the Bahamas. Yeah. I mean, we we what we wore two we wore two pairs of swim shorts in a in a tank top, Crazy you know, and flip thing. flops, and then like, we had three bags each.
0: Like we'd never been anywhere like that. I mean, <laughs> I've traveled a lot, but going right. down to the Bahamas on a on Dale's boat that yeah. that was so eye opening and so much fun.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, well, what do you wear to dinner? What restaurant? And they're like, restaurant. You were eating on the boat, uh, but um, but anyway, I just remember getting there and and the pickup trucks the bed of the pickup truck being full of bags and Dale looking at his king air and looking at us and looking at all those <laughs> bags. He goes, how the hell is this all going to get down there? But, uh, we had so much fun. We got I didn't know what to expect. Um, you and I became very close because Dale told us we had to go do these things together. And, um, I just remember, the Simpsons were really big at the time, and we did a lot of Homer Simpson stuff. because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we kept we kept messing everything we just kept up. messing everything up, and uh, we we didn't eat right, we didn't tie up the wave runners <laughs> right, we didn't do anything right. So they, uh, I remember Michael, you telling me, hey. Um, Hey, listen, man. Let's just do this. Take our brains out, check them at the door, and just let Dale tell us what to do. And we did. That's exactly how you.
0: That's how it would roll in the Bahamas.
1: Right. It was so much cool. It was. Don't fun. fish over there. Fish over here. Yeah. Oh, let's chase that grass line. That grass line's over there. <laughs> I remember. I remember flying in one day and
0: on his on his plane, and we're we're like looking for grass lines and yeah. looking for fish jumping, and like there they are, there they are, land. We got to get over there.
1: Yeah, I remember you going. We were, we'd find a grass line. They would throw all the lines out, six or eight lines out, whatever it was, and we'd start trolling at about eight or eleven knots, whatever it was. It was fast, right? And you, we did that for two days. And you're like, hey Dale, slow down. The fish are getting tired. or trying to catch they could, us. They
0: couldn't keep up with us. I said, if we just slow down a little bit, I think we'll
1: catch some. I think we'll fish. hook one in the side. <laughs>
0: so how long after that? Did uh, you go to, like, your first, like, that was 91-2, whatever,
1: mm-hmm. and then uh, you went to work for Dale after that. He finally could afford you. Yeah, that's right, yeah. He kept uh, winning races, and he got where he could afford you. Ironically, um, I don't even know if I've told you this, but ironically, he kept saying, you need to come to work for me, and this was 96. And uh, um, I had just gone to work for Felix Sabatis because we were working with Kyle Petty, and um, and, and Felix had just told Mellow yellow to hit the road. He's, I got Coors Light coming in here, and um, and there was just a lot of things going on that were. Um, I love Felix, the biggest heart, um, hugely passion. All the Latino blood, though, you know, like very, very quick, quick with his temper at the time. And uh, but Dale kept saying, like, you need to come work for me. At the same time, R.J. Reynolds was asking me to come back. So T. Wayne Robertson was asking me to come back. So, I was sort of trying to debate. I was debating on whether I should go back to the corporate world or go do this thing that Dale wanted us to do, which is start basically start Dale and Hart Incorporated's full time effort um, into uh, into to all the series, you know, Xfinity series, the truck series, and then ultimately Cup. So, I where sort of back and forth and back and forth. And finally, at the All Star race, before the All Star race that year, he said, Hey, come up to my condo, 2B, or whatever it was. I think it was like come up to my condo and uh, let's talk about this. And I was like, okay, no problem. So he's leading the race and he and Terry Labonte are racing like hell. And next thing I know, I'll come off turn two and he and Terry get into each other and this orange number 21 goes blasting by him and you won the race. And so I'm like, uh, Dale's going to be pissed. He's not going to be happy. He's not going to want to have this conversation general conversation. I don't know. But he told me to go by there. We didn't have cell phones. I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, I'll go up there. So I go up there very sheepishly and knock on the door. And it's pitch dark near it's just him and Teresa. He opens up the door. He goes, Hey, get in here. And he looks at me and he goes, Um, We've talked a lot. I've got a runaway train right now and I want you to get on it with me. And I was like, that sounds fun. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the world I <laughs> that's want to do. That's what I want to do. So I would made that decision to do that and told T. Wayne that I wasn't going to go back to R.J. Reynolds and Winston-Salem. And and uh, so I moved over and started uh, with Dale. And and we just every day talked about what the next step was, what we were going to work on, where we were going to go, what that, what that uh, horse barn is going to turn into be a fab shop. And this over here, this field is going to be uh, such and such. And. He just had all this vision, and and we just got after it, and yeah. um, and started doing it. But that that's how it all it all actually happened. The night that you won the all star race.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. He um he was responsible for getting me that ride with the Wood Brothers.
1: Oh, is that right? Yeah, he talked to them and
0: said, if y'all put him in there, I know he can win for y'all. And uh, I didn't mean beat me to do it. But <laughs> and so getting that victory that night in the all star race, and getting uh, getting the Wood Brothers to victory lane because. Because Dale told him I would, mm-hmm. it it really meant a lot to me. Um, at At some point, you became a spotter. <laughs> how How did how did that work? And and uh, my producer over here, Ford. Do we have anything from Reddit or or um, or Twitter about Ty's spotting or any <laughs> questions? Do you did you meet Ford?
1: Oh yeah, I know. I've, I've seen Ford. I've, I've watched him grow up. Yeah.
2: Been around the garage for a long time, so uh, we, we do actually have run luck, so we do have a question from Reddit relating to that. And also, uh, thank you to everyone that submitted their questions from Reddit and Twitter using the hashtag AskMikey, and we also give out our trading cards, and the winner We're going to give week, away
0: trading cards again this
2: week? Yeah, we will. Trading cards, and it's going to go to Stefan 514 It's our winner. How did you end up in a spotting role, and have you thought about returning to the spotting stand full-time?
1: Uh, so we're like I said, I went to work for Felix for a little bit, and um, one of the first things Felix asked me to do was fire half the people. (laughs) And so we, uh, we, uh, and the spotter must have been on the spotter was on the list. (laughs) Uh, we didn't have a lot of, uh, we actually the spotter spotting thing was almost volunteer, you did it out of need, you didn't really, um, it wasn't as formal a position, and uh so we went down to Daytona for the test for the 1995 Daytona 500. And Kyle is running around in a single, like a single car runs as we did for five straight days down there. Um, and Brett Bodine, whatever he had going on in his car, he's lost control of it off turn four and crashed in the front straightaway all by himself. And, you know, I, I was sitting on the truck, just sitting there watching like everybody else and so, one second, two seconds, three seconds. Kyle never checks up. No one ever says anything, and he almost hit Brett. He came off the corner, and he was like, "I got to get somebody up here in the tower. Somebody's got to tell me what's going on. Somebody's got to keep an eye on this track." So in those days, you looked around for the person who had who who did nothing, and, and, <laughs> who and, did the least amount. And I'm like, and knew nothing. And I, I, I knew nothing. And I'm like, <laughs> I know that guy. <laughs> (laughs) i'm i'm right here i'm new here i can do this i i can can do nothing i got that covered you know who we put up there for me in that case
0: Uh, mercer oh okay i I had a buddy scott mercer who moved down from kentucky with me and he was my 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 best friend and we had a lot of good times together so i want to tell you real quickly we're at daytona and he goes caution on the speedway caution on the speedway (laughs) and so so I, i hit the button i'm like Merce, this speedway is big. I'm going to have to... A little more specific. I'm going to I'm gonna need less Eli Gold out of you and more, like, specifically spotting.
1: So, that's it's funny you say that because this is what happened with me. So, they walk around like, okay, somebody needs to go up there. Well, we didn't go out to the outside of the track. I went to the inside of the track to the photographer's tower at the start-finish line. So, you can only see about three-quarters of the track anyway, and you were guessing then. Well, then they decide to draft. And I'm like, Oh, Lord. So I'm shaking. I don't, I'm shaking. I'm talking into the radio and Kyle's running in this pack of like six, seven, eight guys. And I've never done it in my life. And I'm like, uh, and I'm shaking. I can't talk. I can't, I can't breathe. And I'm trying to tell him this. And I'm like, oh, he's to your right, to your your left. I mean, he's, and and then they make a move. And then finally Kyle goes, hey, 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 Ty, Ty, he goes, just give me a color <laughs> just just give me a color let's code these let's bitches. go orange left or blue right <laughs> and so i came off that i came off the tower after practice and i walked over and i said hey i, I got somebody else i want to I want to fire it's going to be me i don't everyone do this again and then uh later um a couple of situations came up and um and I uh, ended up doing it for some more practices. And then when I went, when we went to DEI, we hired Steve Park on a part-time basis, and they needed someone to do practices and ended up doing races with him. And um, and then I just started spotting. So it, it I was terrible at it for a long time. And I don't know that I was ever good at it, but I was terrible at it for a long time. Um, and But then you start to at least understand what's going on and, because every driver wants something different. and um, And ultimately... I would tell you it's probably the most fun, most engaged piece uh, uh, you know in, in the industry I've ever been a part of, and I would love to do it again. Like I, I enjoyed it um, as much as I've enjoyed anything I've ever done.
0: And and you went through that role evolving. I mm-hmm. mean, like you said at first, mm-hmm. it was just a warm soul with a radio mm-hmm. to say there's a crash. Yeah. And now it's he's half back. He's, he, you know, yeah. he's got to run. He He's running the middle. Move to the middle. I right. mean, those things, I really respect spotters more now than I did when I was driving. I know that because I spotted for you. <laughs> I did not like spotters very much <laughs> because they got on my nerves a lot. But, um, in fact, one day I told my spotter just to take his radio off his head and give it to somebody. <laughs> I
1: didn't this, care who.
0: <laughs> I don't care. It got
1: to be better than you are. That wasn't me, so, uh, but you told me some other things. But I but I understand where you're coming from. But
0: that role has really changed, in the you know, and and to the point where if a guy's leading the race and someone's catching him, that spotter's like, you need to try high, you need to move. You know, the the, yeah. the that's really interesting to me how it's changed, and
1: yeah, I'm sure
0: it, you could plug back plug right in because yeah. you went from where it was, which was nothing, to to being that guy up there.
1: Yeah, it, one of the. One of the parts of being a spotter today is this overall knowledge of what's going on, who's coming, who has tires, who pitted, what strategy they're on, um, what the driver wants to know, what the track does, you know, when to move off the bottom to the top, is the center lane right, where the speedy dry is, um, what if you someone grabs your eye and you see that they've they've made a they're, they're diamonding the corner. Anything that you see, that information, the tire fall off, all those things you have to pay attention to now. And um, because you're such an information source, because you almost dominate the radio during the race, and the crew chief can only see small parts of it, um, that spotter has become such an important, integral part of the information that the driver uses to, to make their own choices. When it comes to speedway racing, sometimes and I think even the best drivers in the world, I mean, I know you did it, Dale Jr. Um, would tell you this, and, and I've heard Joey Logano say, he goes, just tell me where to go. Because like, sometimes, you know, they only see what's in front of them, and they can't see everything going around them. And if a spotter's, like, we're trying to give you too much information, like, well, there's two back and there's a gap. If you're to the middle, if you're thinking about it, and he's like, get to the middle and, and just make that move. And if you trust your spotter, you make that move. And, um, and, and, and it just – that does develop over time. But, yeah, the spotter role – i loved it i miss it i'd love to do it again nice Um, so i enjoyed it um and you became
0: Dell jr spotter yeah what was your first year doing that was it full-time
1: yeah it was in the bush series or xfinity series um we uh started going full-time and same thing uh he had had a couple guys that didn't work out and so i got up there and it started working out and i ended up spotting just about every race Dale jr ran in, in the three car in the Bush series for us and then when he moved into the eight um I was spotting for Steve Park we had another spotter for Dale when he first started in the eight car and then after about 10 races that changed and I took over that role and uh so I was always filling in for somebody <laughs> so and uh but I started spotting for him and um when we went full-time cup racing and I just uh, stayed there until I left DEI in 04.
0: What, what was it like getting to know Dale Jr.? Because you saw him <laughs> as a little kid. Yeah. Just running around to, to, to rookie year winning Texas in yeah. that eight car plus the the, the Xfinity Championships. What, what did you see from Dale Jr. through those years? Because I'll be honest... I was racing my cup car. I was friends with his dad. Mm-hmm. I knew he was racing a Myrtle Beach and a oh, late yeah. model. Yeah. I didn't know when he when he came to Xfinity that that he was going to be, be that, anything, right? Be that good, and man, yeah. that was crazy the way <clears throat> he just adapted and and took off.
1: Yeah. Um, the first time I met Dale Junior, I was is one of those situations where I was with R.J. Reynolds up at the at the banquet, and uh, we're at the president in the presidential suite. And I, he must have been 13 years old or 14 years old. And uh, he had just come in for the banquet. And he and Kelly um, went in, and Dale Jr. was asleep on the couch. And <clears throat> Dale and I came back from some event, and Dale just started jumping on him. <laughs> just like, get your, get, get your feet off the trail. You know, and started just, just barking at him. Like, he hadn't even seen him yet. And Jr. is just kind of like this shy, very introverted um, Kid, he could tell he adored his dad, but he was scared of him. I you mean, know, I mean, and I, I think Dale was hard as hell on him. But you know, who am I to tell someone how to parent? And uh but <clears throat> when Dale Jr. started racing, <clears throat> he largely did it without Dale's overseeing. Over, like Dale didn't go to Myrtle Beach; he had his own career going on. And he'd get his reports, and then Uncle Randy, you know, would be around, and um, he'd get reports and. This guy had to put too much stuff in, <laughs> try to juice up the engine, burn it down, and they'd get, all get mad. at And I, Junior was just doing his own thing. I don't even think he was taking it seriously. He may have been. I don't know. He didn't talk to anybody. He didn't tell anybody anything. And um, when we got a chance to go Xfinity racing, um, I don't think Dale Jr. would have had near the success if he didn't have Tony Sr. and Tony Jr., Tony Jr. was his cousin and best and really really close friend who believed in him regardless. Tony Senior was a hard ass, and Tony Senior didn't cower to him. He 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 stayed on him, and it kind of got Junior to start acting a little bit more like a an adult and B that he belonged. Um, But even then, you know, I don't know that the relationship with Dale Senior was all that great at that moment because he crashed trying to qualify um, when we weren't full-time, yet he crashed trying to qualify at Charlotte. And uh, Dale obviously had to go run his practice, and we got done. When Dale came back, he's like, come on, let's go see Junior across the street. So we went over there, and the guys had taken the car, and they were all tearing it apart and cutting it up, and Junior was asleep. Dale just ripped into him. You know, you crashed that car, you should be over here doing this. And Dale Jr. finally, for the first time, stood up to him I, that I saw. He stood up to him, and he said a few things to him, very personal I won't share here, but he said some things to Dale, and Dale kind of looked at me and says, go back to the shop. And it's the first time I saw Dale Jr. really stand up for himself and become a little bit more of a man and be like, hey, man, like, um, I'm here. Pay attention to me. And um, I was proud of him scared for him <laughs> so, but then he just started developing into a winner and Isn't he took crazy, a serious moments in life where you yeah. think it
0: I, I remember a moment like that for me with, uh-huh. with my family uh, that it just really seems to be when you when you start heading in the right direction
1: yeah and <clears throat> that dale believed in him and those guys became close because of racing racing took them apart let's not be let's be clear about this he wasn't they weren't around each other a lot Um, but racing brought them back together and it was, and and that's what made it so special for them to be able to share some moments. You know,
0: when you say that, I think the seventies drove us apart, seventies, eighties, like back then you didn't, you know, you didn't get hugs, right. Parents didn't always show up for your, for you to sit on the bench in a basketball game. (laughs) Right.
1: Exactly. And
0: so things changed. And, and uh, I just remember the pictures, the videos of Dale winning the champ, Dale Jr. winning the championship in Xfinity and Dale being there and that, that smile on his face. Mm -hmm. And, And, um, you know, I talked to Kelly the other day about the documentary and she said, you know, I I saw you doing things with that I didn't get to do. And I wanted to be a part of that Yeah. and, uh, life, like, like you said, careers and, and being successful in, in life, I think more so back then, it just seemed to be, it just seemed to maybe you spent more time on the road than you did at home. And it, it, it hurt that end of the, end of the relationship but um seeing it all come back together I, I know how special i remember when dale won won texas <clears throat> uh, as a rookie dale jr mm-hmm. and and dale coming there and give him and give him mm-hmm. that hug and yeah I, and i saw it in xfinity too but that one just that that one just it always it always just touched my heart yeah the, how special that was
1: there as a parent you brag about your kids. You talk about your kids. You say good things about your kids, and then when you get to your kids, you're, you're not always saying that to them. Yell at it. Yell yeah, them. hey man, get, you, get your stuff, get your get your shoes and socks off the floor, and and so, Dale Senior said some things to me about Dale Junior that I don't know that he ever said to him, but I remember sitting there one day and he goes. Um, I'm the most envied man in this garage. I'm the most envied dad in this garage. He said, Junior, you know, we got stuff going on. I'm winning races. Dale Junior's coming up. And he said, I think I'm the envy of all the dad, the racing dads in the garage. And he was so proud. Yes. I think sometimes his pride didn't let him say that to Dale Jr. because he didn't want his head to get big. and uh, and And so, you know, it was it did bring him back together and and um once Dale Jr started getting his own feet under him and his own voice um there was a small transition of time probably only a year and a half of that when Dale was still with us and um and Dale Jr needed that period of time because so much fell on his shoulders after the accident yeah.
0: the the accident and and um you spotting for Dale Junior um how how was how was that on that day? Yeah. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Yeah. And then and then subsequently what were what were the next weeks, months like?
1: Yeah. Um so I was part of those meetings with you and Dale, and he was going, "We're going to, we're going <clears> to <throat> make this work." You know, we're going to stay together. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. That's something I saw in the, uh, by <clears> the
0: way, <throat> in the documentary that I'd forgotten about. I just remember for ten years Dale telling me, "You'd win in my car. Yeah. You'd win if you drove for me." And i all right, let's do it. Right. And in the, in the Napa press conference, he said, uh, you know, I told Michael we were going to do this. And Michael said, yeah, are we really going to do this? We've been right. talking about right. it for a long time. <laughs> right. what, a, yeah. what a special time in, in my life. Well, from, from that press conference all the way to the last lap of that race was, was as good as it got for me.
1: Well, um, you've referenced this, and I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, but um, I would go see Dale probably four or five times a day. We would talk all the time, and so after the twin 150s or twin 125s at the time that the, 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 you guys ran the race together, I probably may have told you. Something, I don't know, but I was sitting there with Dale. It was just the two of us, and he goes, oh, "Damn, what was Michael doing?" He goes, and he, he made a comment. He goes, "How? No wonder he's never won a damn race." He's like that, whatever. I don't even remember the move, but you I you did. know it. You remember it, and he and he and he said something. He said he could have won that race, and that's that's sort of sparked. Uh, we need to have this conversation because we're going to do this together. And he was he was upset because he knew you could win if we just worked on a couple of things, or we, like, uh, he and you, you know, worked on a couple of things. And so – I was part of those conversations, and so Junior, I referenced it in the in the uh, in the documentary. He didn't really believe it. He was going to be selfish. Junior was like, "Man, I'm here for myself." He was so awesome, and I loved his hey, I loved his interview. It,
0: the whole thing about it, I mean, we couldn't have had that documentary had he had said, "No, I'm not going to do that." Because right? It, it was, yeah, it was, it was, you know, he's as big a part of
1: it as I was. I love it. my favorite line of the whole movie. He's like, well, "He can run third if he wants to, <laughs> if that's what he wants to do, <laughs> if that's what Dad wants to do. He can run third. I'm win this race." And you know
0: what's funny also is like when Dad. They always tell me that i'm like yeah yeah definitely <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> that, that
0: ain't gonna work but yeah. that that um that move uh, what i did in that that qualifying race was 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 horrible it was i just messed up yeah and i'll tell you something interesting richard petty was in new york for the for the de- the premiere of the documentary sat beside me and we ate popcorn and watched a movie hmm. maybe the coolest thing i've done in in 100 years and when it was over, he said, that's a nice job, Mikey. I like what you did. But then as soon as we stood up and asked questions, uh, took questions from the audience, someone said, you know, what did you think um, about Mike racing all those years and never never winning a race? And mm-hmm. Richard said, I thought he should probably go back to Kentucky. And, really? And he laughed. Yeah. He was joking, making fun of me. Right. Dale told you, what's wrong with Mike, Michael? Why'd he do that? What's yeah. wrong? But when I got there... He said, "I said, man, I messed up. I should have won that race. I I did everything perfect. I was right where I needed to be. I messed up." He said, "You, you shouldn't have won that race. I should have won that. That race don't matter. Right? We're we're gonna win the Daytona 500." Yeah. He never, ever, ever made fun of me. Like, right. That was. I don't. I think that he didn't think I needed that.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
0: He, he he was always like I said, you yeah. win him on out one of my cars. Right. And and I didn't I didn't really think about that. Until the other night in New York when when Richard made that joke about going back to Kentucky, I've heard a lot of that, you know. Yeah. And I thought, you know, they all never did that. That that wasn't how he
1: treated me. No, he treated you with a lot of respect because you guys were buddies. But he liked you for a reason. He liked you because he believed in you, you know. And I don't know why he liked me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're still trying to figure that (laughs) one out. But, you know, you go back to that moment we're talking about as far as spotting for Dale Jr., um, I was so focused on him and what was happening behind him, not in front of him. I was never focused on, okay, get this run, back up, do this. Who am I to tell him what to do, right? I was it was a beehive back then. Oh yeah. And uh in and I completely expected Dale to make a run and to to shake it up and try to move to the front and do some of his patented moves. And there were a lot of laps when he didn't do that. And it surprised me um you know, obviously if I hadn't had the conversation or we hadn't had the conversation, I'd have had no idea what he was doing, but I realized what was going on. Um, but uh I just remember coming down that back straightaway thinking it started getting really ugly back there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, I don't know how in the world they can they can organize and formulate a, a push here. Um <clears throat> but I mean we went in a turn and Dale got touched and he turned and when he did I the very first thing I said to Dale Jr. is I said, you lost your drafting partner and I didn't mean it in a global sense that you've lost your, your 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 dad and everything that's going on there I just meant because I was only looking at him at that moment as this is the person that's going to push you or not push you to the win and I told him that because I wanted him to realize there's not a whole lot he's going to do he's going to watch you win this race yeah <laughs> and uh, i was
0: i was fully aware as we took the white looking in the mirror where dale was and where dale jr was and what was going on back there i was like they they i'm gonna win this race yeah the, it just isn't yeah it it's was, not formed up right
1: no and, it wasn't didn't have any momentum going and then but then uh you know what happened after that trying to talk to junior in the car trying to spot for him there was a lot of contention between him and the crew chief and where his head was and we all lived that those months were we all wanted to band together but it was so hard because everyone started splintering into this person wanted power and that guy wanted to control and this guy wanted this and that person wanted that and this person would tell Teresa this and it was just became a very very toxic situation in a hurry um, and there's really only one thing that ever, ever pulls that back together, and that's winning. And,
0: and you know what? I, uh, probably one of the toughest days of of our lives, you included, was, was the last lap of the Daytona 500. And maybe one of the most special nights was you calling Dale Jr. home when we returned to Daytona. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that was I, I was able to watch that race recently and listening to you and Dale Jr. talk, you know, your man's behind you. You got this. Yeah. That that was special.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, I wanted to hear that. I've never heard that audio. I remember a few things that I said, I saw you coming from the back of the pack and you had a run. It may have been coming to the white. It was coming to the white. Yeah. I say,
0: in the movie, I think I said it was coming to the checkered. Yeah.
1: Um, but
0: I watched the race the other night it, it was coming to the white. I had oh. enough. I could have driven. Oh I my didn't. god! You'd
1: have been, you'd have had him by ten car lengths. <laughs> I mean, you were coming five, six, seven, eight, ten miles an hour faster, and you had. And if I don't remember, maybe Elliot straighter. Sadler. Okay, somebody was it Eminem's car? No, it was twenty one. Okay, well, somebody was pushing re- you so like, hard.
0: But, but what happened? Like when I when I got there, you know, I thought I thought like he thought, and I did not know we thought this way until I watched the doc. Until I saw this interview <laughs> on the documentary, I thought. If I do this. Yeah. And I get to there. Yeah. And I mess this up. Yeah. It's it's going to look like I'm a real <laughs> real butthole. Yeah. And so the decision was made based on you know, yeah. ah, I don't want to mess this up. Well, I And would, it was the right
1: decision. I'm not going to tell you what you were thinking because but I I'm going to guess that you'd have had to make that decision long before you got to his bumper because you were coming so fast. Yeah. And I told Dale Jr. I believed in my heart that you would push him. I never believed in my heart that you would pass him. And, and I, and I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said, he's committed to you. I think I said, he's committed to you. He's going to, he's going to push you. He's going to committed to you. He's your guy. And when you got there and you got to his bumper, there was, I mean, I was crying for a lap. I yeah. knew what was going to happen. We were going to win this race, and I, my, my only regret from that night was having to leave the spotter stand and get back down, wait till they open the gates and cross over. I did not get a chance to celebrate with all you guys in the infield. Yeah, I got to do it in victory lane, but you had largely been gone by then. I didn't get to do that, and I was so mad. Like, look at all these guys having fun. I'm, gonna, I'm like, open that damn gate so I can get through here.
0: What about that what about that crowd? Oh my god. I mean what a what a special celebration and it was all yeah. I mean, we won the race, but it was more than that. It was about yeah. Dale and missing Dale.
1: Yeah, there there might have only half the people there may have been Dale Junior fans, and only half of them may have been Dale senior fans or maybe less, who knows? But everyone was a fan at that moment. Everyone a was a fan that of that moment.
0: There was people rushing
1: back up the stair,
0: back yeah. into the grandstands, because they yeah. didn't want to, you know, they, they maybe tried to beat traffic a bit, but then oh, they yeah. then they heard the screaming and they, they all came back. So yeah.
1: it was, it was, people ask me all the time, like, what's your most, what, what's your favorite memory? We won the Daytona 500 three times. We won championships. Um, incredible things that i've been able to be a part of and see that moment right there is p1 by head and shoulders it yeah. always has been
0: that's crazy it's my favorite victory celebration i didn't i didn't, win. <laughs> didn't <win>. <laughs> <laughs> putting together the documentary was a lot of parts and pieces you got any questions about about the documentary where do you want to go next ford
2: yeah yeah we'll touch talk about the documentary as well this one's from uh this is from twitter it's fldm fan Yes, when it came to the logistics of putting together Blink of an Eye, what did you find to be the most challenging? Uh,
0: the most challenging was calling Dale Jr. and saying, you know, hey, will you will you do this because I'm gonna I want to make a documentary and my goal is to honor your dad and mm-hmm. show people what a what a not only great racer but what a what a great human being he was, and you know I just I didn't <coughs> want. I didn't know what Dale Jr. would think, and so logistically, it was pretty easy. We had uh, my shop uh, up in Cornelius, and and we set up uh, a, a studio, if you will, and people come in, talk about what they remember, and, and go out, and obviously, everybody wanted to, wanted to participate, including my brother, who was a part of it, and um, so there really wasn't any challenges. The only thing that that kind of, I, I wanted to, I had to have Dell Jr. and I wanted to make sure that he wanted to be there and, and he was kind enough to do it. Well, now, as
2: far as the the movie itself, the people that could not go and see it on that day, will it be released on DVD where others can go and see that as well?
0: Yes, it'll be streamed as well. I think that probably in the next month or so, you'll, you'll learn how you can watch it. And I don't, if I knew how, I barely know what streaming means, but I know there's sources. Is it where you get trout?
1: You get catch trout in the streaming. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, I don't know how to tell you yet. It'll it'll be available to to people, but certainly um, last Thursday night in 800 theaters across America uh, in in a town like Dubuque, Iowa or Fresno, California, they had people show up to watch the documentary and that, that meant the world to me that it was so well received and nothing but positive comments from it. So Paul and, and Mitch, everybody put it together. I'm real thankful for it. And and like Ty said, you know, what was great is he lived it. And, and when he got to hear what Richard Petty
1: was thinking mm-hmm. or he
0: got to see, uh, you know, Kenny Schrader, uh, the, the, the people that helped tell the story made it really special.
1: I have my, my son goes to Coastal Carolina, Myrtle Beach, and he he loaded up about four of his friends, and they went down to the theater, and they wouldn't let him in. He said, it's sold out. And I said, tell him I'm in the movie. because I did. <laughs> Didn't help. <laughs> Macy, Macy is at the
0: University of Michigan, and she had a picture of about 10 or 12 of her friends, and they uh-huh. all went to Ann Arbor okay. to, to watch the documentary. So I, I got a lot of great um, feedback on Twitter of, of stories like that. Yeah. People people go into the documentary
1: and i wanted to say something about dale jr um when you were talking about how and i don't want to call it nervous because you didn't say nervous but you know you had a little anxiety about calling him and saying hey i want you to do this because i really want this to, to work out for years dale jr didn't want to talk about stuff he didn't want to be he, he i don't know i've already talked about that i don't want to talk about it anymore um and he would you never knew like some days and i've said this about jr basically grew up with him and some days he walks by and you didn't know he knew you, you know, like, and that's just who he was for a long time. And I went to see him, I I talked to him at an event and I walked up to him and I just said, you're, you are a man to be proud of. And I just really wish that more people uh, like Dale and some of the people that grew up around Dale Jr. could see him now. And I think Amy has done an incredible amount for him for him to appreciate life so much more he's incredible in the, in the in the television booth all his energy and his insight and vernacular everything so i was really excited that he did the documentary and he didn't do it because someone dragged him in there he did it because he wanted to and his stories were phenomenal I, I really really liked his perspective
0: yeah and i'm also getting to um, know better and enjoy Kelly so much, hear oh, yeah. her on the radio and seeing her role at Junior Motorsports. Mm-hmm. Uh, that those those two are are so so special to me to be yeah. able to see who they've become.
1: Like you said, yeah, there. Kelly is one of the smartest people in this entire industry, any level, Cup, Xfinity, business, um, sponsors, licensing. She just totally gets it. Contracts. She she's amazing. And I think Dale Jr. could not have been more blessed than to have someone like that as his right-hand person for so many years because she also doesn't take any crap. She's full Earnhardt. Right. She's full Earnhardt. And I've known that for a long time. But uh, responsive, and she's just she's phenomenal. I, I, I'm proud of them as well.
0: Well, those are certainly some special memories. I yeah. appreciate you coming. You, you said Dale Jr. didn't talk about much. <laughs> I am a perfect example of I didn't talk about anything either. And doing the book, I didn't really have to worry about much. Like I said, it was my story. I was telling it. I didn't have to worry about what other people think. And then you do the documentary, and so many worlds come together, and everybody tells the same story. We talked about that. But also, something that has been very, very um, therapeutic for me are these podcasts. Mm. Like, I have, we're dudes, or I am at least a dude. (laughs) I'll go golf with you all day. I'll go have beer with you. We can go fishing or swimming. Yeah, I'm gonna say, how you doing? Right, I'm good. Exactly. good. yeah, I'm good too. Yeah, but, moving on.
1: Glad
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, you're good. Uh, but having the chance to, to, to have some of the guests I've had on this, this this show and being able to share stories. Yeah, you know, I, I've shared the track with a lot of them. We worked together forever. Uh, you know, listening to Tyler Reddick talk about a year ago, he kept hitting the wall and mm-hmm. how he finally got it all figured out, and listening to to uh, Noah Gregson say. I know I got to make, I got to make this work. It might be my only chance. Yeah. And then having Matty D talk about, you know, being in this new ride and, and working so hard to get here. Those are all stories I've really enjoyed
1: hearing. Yeah. Well, you look at guys like Matt D this, this is his time. These are his best times. This, these are the moments that he'll be talking about when he has his podcast. Um, remember when this happened and, um so yeah it's special to see it's special to see these young drivers come along and and have their moments and 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 who knows we may all be able to share in those as well yeah
0: and then you you've uh, tell me what's what's happening today we talked about all those great times that we we shared throughout um the the 90s and the 2000s with with uh with dale and and now you've you've moved on what's what's in your world these days
1: yeah well <clears throat> there's only one way you can race and that's through revenue right you need to find sponsorships and and and, in, and for years we've always represented properties and taken them to the market and found sponsors and engaged them and kept them and so i've been wanting to continue to do that in the motorsport space but i in which i'm doing um but i also wanted to take it to a new genre for me which was music And uh, so I've had the opportunity to work with Red Light Management, um, a group out of Nashville um, that has 150 to 200 artists, a huge country lineup. And when you're talking endorsements and festivals and um, tours, social campaigns, private bookings, um, so I'm learning the space. Um, and certainly have a lot of experience in, in in selling properties, and so that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm staying on top of the NASCAR world because I love it and I want to stay in it. Uh, and uh, but I'm also trying to expand a little bit more.
2: And Ty, I, I'll give you one more question here. You mentioned Matt Matty D that we were talking about. Sure. We actually have a Reddit question on him from Alex B one two nine two, with the attention on Matt D Benedetto and his new sponsor. Uh, how critical is it for uh, for a race team, like to have a likable driver, you know, uh, seems that like raw talent types of drivers sometimes have a, a, less of a personality and may not get the best rides just because of their marketability. Well,
1: in our business that we ran, this is probably the only business I've ever been around where about 85 to 90% of the revenue needed to, um, operate a team comes from third parties, whether it's manufacturers or sponsors and you have to find them and keep them and there's um I wouldn't say there's only one way, but the best way is to have someone with some personality <laughs> <laughs> um and and to to be different and to be there's one word that I'll use, and no matter if I'm talking music or if I'm talking racing or I'm talking football, it doesn't matter you have to be relevant that you have to be relevant to that brand and that relevant to that brand's uh demographic and their 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 core con- their target consumer. And he has to be likable and influential. And if I'm, if, if I'm 90 years old and Michael's not even within a 1,000 miles of me, I will tell you, Michael Waltrip was the best I've ever seen. He got it from day one. He engaged with these, these folks. He made himself relevant because he was a winner. He made himself relevant because he was funny and he was on television and he worked his ass off. He didn't sit back waiting for someone to throw money at him. He went and got it. I've seen him get on an airplane on a red eye, fly home, shave just in time to come do another corporate event, and j and not bitch about it. Um that's that so many people can learn what Michael did and a guy like Matty D totally gets it. And it's very important to not only the team morale, but to the sponsors who, once they're there, if they love you, they'll never leave. And what
0: I love about Matt, Matt Benedetto is, is you know, finding him. I remember it was Vegas, I think, a couple years ago, and I noticed that he was running better than, than I thought maybe he should. And I just yeah. went and found him and said, you know, hey, man, talk, talk to me. Right. Tell me what's happening in your right. world. How's this going down? And he was so appreciative that I noticed. And we've been – We've been buddies ever since, and I was up in New York City for uh, some some uh, documentary pub- publicity, and I went to see the folks at Barstool Sports. Okay. And Dave Portnoy was there, uh-huh. and I went in and and uh, did this interview, and this this kid doing the interview, the, not the kid, these everybody's a kid to me, uh, <laughs> these guys doing the interview. They said Dave's here, you ought to say hi to him, and I said, Yeah, I will. So I'd love to, and. The guy called me a legend. He said, You're a legend. I said, please don't use that word. That makes me sound like I'm 80. Can I just he said, No, kids are legends now. I said, Okay, good. (laughs) Okay, I'll take that then. That's fine. Ninja's a legend. (laughs) But Dave came out and he he got I guess he got paid to go to a race. You know, NASCAR hired him to go to a race. And he said, and I loved it. And I'm, I'm going back, I'm, right. and I'm going just because I want to go. And right. he was in, in Vegas this past weekend, um, and they're going to sponsor Matt a couple of times. And yeah. that's a great example, Ford, thanks for bringing that up, of a guy that got the chance, w- w- went the extra mile, was, was doing yeah. all he could to, to try to attract a sponsor and now he's going to have Barstool Sports on the side of his car, which is awesome. That's great. And I will
2: say is some fan actually asked Dave uh, yesterday uh, about possibly sponsoring him for the Wood Brothers next year, and he said we got a lot of exposure th- uh, in Vegas mm-hmm. this past yeah. weekend. We would like to come back next year possibly.
0: One thing I would like to disagree with uh, that, that guy that sent in that question when he said personality is sometimes a talented driver doesn't have personality. What do you say about that? He said,
2: it seems like the raw talent types of drivers sometimes have less of a personality and may not get the best rides just because of their marketability. Well,
0: I will argue that. What about one of the best drivers of of this era, Kyle Busch, and his personality after the race in Las Vegas? Yeah, strong personality.
1: (laughs) I thought Dale Jr. had the funniest thing after Kyle's interview... He goes, you know, Kyle tried to do pretty good. He just interview just went a little too long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just went a little too long and then he had to lose it. <laughs> that, that's, a, but that's good. You know, I know that, yeah. You wanna... That is a personality. It just doesn't have to be glowing and hugging. I mean, it is a personality and, and that personality is needed just as much as the, the fun, loving person. So, I, I more power to Kyle. Marshawn Lynch was at the race. Yeah. And I think that's that's a personality. That's a
0: personality, and I think that got into Kyle's head. That's why right. he's, just, uh, he's here, just not to get fined, right? right? Hey, I
2: gotta ask, who did it better, Marshawn Lynch or Kyle Bush when he says, "I'm just here so I won't get fined"? Who did it better?
1: Well, Marshawn started it. Yeah, he's he's the OG. He's the OG. He 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 uh, he did it better. Yeah, but because but, it was expe- unexpected when he did it, it's expected when Kyle says it.
0: But but the way it went down Sunday night, I love Kyle. We we. Uh, we admire how he races his car on the track, obviously. And, uh, I don't, I don't, like you said, I don't want everything to be Mm-mm. rose
1: petals and no. powder. Can't be, can't be like powder. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how, <laughs> I don't know how great that is, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> smells reaches <good>. on, smells is <laughs> on. Uh, uh, but now it's Dale wasn't a huggy guy. I mean, he was a hard ass and he did a little bit differently. And, Yarborough, I keep going through all the legends. Daryl was fun and happy, and then he was whatever he was at times. And But, yeah, Kyle's got a huge personality, and I I think the sport needs it. I do, too.
0: Well, I needed this. Appreciate you coming by. Yeah, man. I wanted to, to review the documentary after a couple of weeks of previewing it, and I thought that uh, your insight about being – with Dale, all those years was something
1: I wanted to hear more about, and I appreciate you sharing. Oh, it's a pleasure doing it. I, I first thank you for letting me even be a part of the documentary because it, you, you got to tell your story and your book, in the movie, and I finally got to tell a little bit of the story, so that was fun. Yes, it was. Thank you. All right. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, what a day! Just talking to Ty about
0: the memories, all the things that went on in the '80s and '90s as our friendship with Dale grew, and then driving to Victory Lane, obviously. Um, One of the best days and and then one of the worst days of both of our whole lives. I appreciate his emotion. Appreciate him sharing stories with you. And I appreciate y'all listening. Again, remember, you can tell your friends about us and they can search Waltrip Unfiltered on their favorite podcast app and be able to watch all this great content. Plus, Fox Sports has a YouTube page. We're going to put videos up there. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.